Welcome to the Unplugged Podcast with Deb Ozarko, episode 62. Well, hello there and welcome to another super fantastic week of the Unplugged Podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. This is the place where you will hear inspiring, powerful conversations with the courageous truth seekers of today's rapidly changing world. And it's by engaging with these conversations in our own lives that we are inspired to unplug from the breakdown of today's outdated paradigm and plug into the truth of our own uniquely authentic, compassionate, and purpose-driven essential nature. And my name is Deb Ozarko, warrior of truth, status quo crusher, and passionate lover of life, here to welcome you to your bi-weekly dose of authentic expression, truth, and open-hearted inspiration from my paradigm-busting headquarters in gorgeous, gorgeous, absolutely beautiful, coastal British Columbia, Canada. And in case this is your first time listening, this is a show that challenges your edges. It's a show that confronts outdated belief systems and provokes a more expansive mindset based on what lives in the human spirit rather than what is fed to us by dysfunctional culture gone wrong. So the Unplugged podcast confronts the belief systems that hold us back And instead, it provokes truth and engages inspiring conversations that expand our collective worldview so that we reconnect to our true selves with integrity, truth, compassion, purpose, simplicity, and the big kahuna, love. And I recently read a really great quote by someone named Diane Grant that says that it's better to walk alone than with the crowd going in the wrong direction. So I love that quote. My mission is to create the greatest portal for truth that sheds light on everything that keeps us trapped in the archaic paradigm of separation. And another great quote by Gloria Steinem, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. (laughs) So I'm here to inspire a better way, a more expansive way that is more in line with who we all are within our souls. And if you're a regular listener, I'm asking you to pause this podcast right now so you can go to iTunes and give it a rank and rating. This is how the word is spread about this movement that's being created. And I can't do it without you. So while you're in iTunes, make sure to subscribe. So go do that right now, okay? Press pause. I'm going to wait. Okay. (laughs) we're back. And I thank you for your support. I thank you for taking the time to navigate the, uh, uh, the crazy interface of iTunes and give it a rank and rating. It really means a lot to me. It means a lot to spread this message of compassion and truth and passion and purpose and all the things that are great in life in this short, brief time that we have in these bodies on this planet. So Thank you for your support and spreading the word and subscribing on iTunes. It all means so much to me. 
Now, if you're a regular listener, you will know that on November 30th, I said goodbye to my canine soulmate, Jesse. And it's a death that has actually hit me harder than any that have preceded it. And there have been many. And I'm not talking necessarily about the death of animal companions that have preceded it. I'm talking about death, period. Death of my mother, my father, my grandparents, friends, family. This one has hit me really hard. And each death and grieving experience bring their own qualities. And even though there's some consistency to it all, I can say with 100% certainty that there is absolutely no predictability to any of it. And there's also no fast-tracking our way through the process. And if you haven't read my blog post about the experience of saying goodbye to Jesse, I invite you to read it. It's, um, it's something that I wrote while it was still happening. Um, so it was very fresh at that time. It's something that I also wrote right afterwards. So it was really the voice of my soul that I expressed in words because I felt like it was so important to share what I was going through with so many others who I know feel the same way, but don't know how to articulate it or even feel it the way it's, it's meant to be felt. So it's also been one of the more popular blog posts because it explored the, the cultural mindset surrounding death and grief that we will all experience at some point in our lives if we haven't already. And I'm going to link to that in the show notes. But if you want to pause and read it right now, you can go to my website at debozarco.com and it's backslash power of love, all in one word. That's the blog post that I wrote about uh, our final time with Jessie and uh, her actual dying process. And we were graced with 40 beautiful days from diagnosis to her final transition, and they were utterly magical. Like This beautiful being taught me so much about life and about love and about dying with grace. And prior to her departure, we took her to see a woman who I deeply respect. As far as I'm concerned, she's also one of the best integrative veterinarians around. So Dr. Marlene Smith could not save Jesse from the death that we will all face at some point in our lives, but she helped us accept her looming transition from a place that made for an utterly profound experience in her final days. And when we finally reached full acceptance that Jesse was leaving, she was able to relax into what was left of her life, which was really beautiful and very transformative. And even though it was heartbreaking, the love that we felt from emanating from Jesse was greater than ever before. And this was a very loving little, <laughs> I don't even want to, she's not, she wasn't little, her soul was massive. This was a very loving being for the 13 years that she graced us with her life. And I felt that our spiritual connection was deeper than it ever had been in those final days. And I'm never going to forget this. And I'm really pleased to bring Marlene Smith's plethora of wisdom to you today on the show. But first, I want to chat about the state of healthcare in today's world because it's important as a lead in to this show. And as we all know, there are some very serious problems which are increasingly evident in today's world. And it starts with the allopathic medical model, which is otherwise known as the Western version of medicine that we're all familiar with. So this is based on the Newtonian medical model of the body. 
and the Newtonian model dates back over 200 years, which is a pretty archaic way of thinking these days. And I believe that that's part of the reason that we are now witnessing the breakdown of modern medical models throughout the world, because we've long outgrown this model. And I'm just going to read a quote from a website called allthingshealing.com. And it reads, present day medical views are deeply rooted in a Newtonian worldview, allopathic medicine. According to Dr. Richard Gerber, Doctors conceptualize the body as a type of grand machine which is controlled by the brain and peripheral nervous system, the ultimate biological computer. Newtonian way of thinking was first approached in the Industrial Revolution. Physicians in present day see the body as a complex machine in which the heart is a mechanical pump that delivers blood and oxygen to the system. Today, doctors can replace, create, and synthesize the organs and systems of the body. Doctors have become the mechanics and architects of our bodies. Mechanics and architects. Hmm. Nothing about healers there. So uh, in some ways, this is a good thing. But because we've outgrown this model, long outgrown this model, in more ways, it's not such a good thing. So doctors or body mechanics more often than not deny the existence of any other form uh, of energy in the human or animal, animal body other than what emanates from the known physiochemical processes. So in other words, if it can't be experienced within the limitations of the five perceptual senses, it doesn't exist. So I wonder, am I the only one who sees a lot wrong with this model? Now, the alternative approach is found in the Einsteinian paradigm. And I'm going to read again from the allthingshealing.com website. Dr. Richard Gerber again states that vibrational medicine sees living beings as networks of complex energy fields that interface with physical and cellular systems. Vibrational medicine uses specialized forms of energy to positively affect those energy systems that may be out of balance due to disease states. Einstein himself said that all matter is energy. The theoretical perspective is that our subtle bodies, or the aura, are affected by our emotions, mental, and spiritual states. If there are imbalances in any of these areas, it will then affect the physical body. Vibrational medicine strives to heal the illness using the subtle energy fields instead of working on the physical body with medications and surgery. All right now, so looking back throughout history, we can clearly see the, uh, the powerful healing abilities of ancient Eastern traditions such as traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, Ayurvedic medicine, as well as homeopathy, naturopathy, uh, chiropractic and various other energy medicine modalities. And what I personally love about many of these modalities is that they take all four bodies into account, emotions, mind, body, and spirit, the bulk of which is energy. I mean, think about it. You can't touch emotions. You can't touch thoughts. You can't touch 
what's going on in the spirit. So that's all energy and it's all expressed through the body. So the Newtonian model sees the body as it, the end, nothing more than that. So no wonder this model is so ineffective on its own. Now that said, as this paradigm shifts, it, it's now starting to appear that both models have a place in modern medicine because of the, uh, the efficacy of integrative medicine, which is now finally being recognized throughout the world. And those who remain trapped in the Newtonian model are being questioned more than ever nowadays, and more people are exploring expansive options. But the most concerning problem with the allopathic or Newtonian medical model is how it has been corrupted into a lucrative business controlled by powerful pharmaceutical industries. Poison. Now, pharmace yeah, pharmaceuticals are poison. Quick fix pills for ills. And many doctors have become nothing more than legalized pill pushers. Personally, I don't trust it. And for good reason. I've seen repeatedly, repeatedly, I've seen how it failed my friends and family with, with uh, alarming consistency. Now, I believe that it has its place, but not on its own, because we are not separate bits and pieces of body parts to be cut up, radiated, and medicated. That is not healing. But this is the accepted dogma of the corporatized medical model. Now, fortunately, it wasn't always like this, so we do know better. It certainly wasn't like this when I was growing up. I mean, I grew up in an era where our family doctor, our dentist, and veterinarian were more like family members, and they all had their own small individual clinics. Uh, they took their time. There was a very deep personal connection, and the care was personalized, and it was, it was based on real healing rather than who can sell the most fear and drugs. And it's gotten to a point today where he who spins the most fear profits the most. And, um, okay, just on that note, have you ever noticed how, how negative many of these healthcare, and I say that in quotation marks, healthcare professionals are, and how adept they are at spinning the worst case scenarios to elicit fear? How you go in for a toothache and it can mean brain cancer? Or you're limping and it can mean bone sarcoma? I mean, seriously? I mean, these, these are extreme examples, but it's not uncommon. And, and this is something that really pisses me off because it happens all the time. Not only in the human world, but also in the veterinary world. As a matter of fact, I think the veterinary world is even worse. I've had so many experiences where I just leave enraged when I'm in the uh, Newtonian model of vet care because I don't have any other choice. But you know, here's how it works. When the worst case scenarios are imposed on us, it creates fear, which means that we become vulnerable prey for costly diagnostics, pharmaceuticals, and, you know, and, and so much other unnecessary crap. It just comes down to this. Fear is extremely profitable. And in many cases, we've become nothing more than uh, walking wallets for those who've been seduced by and practiced from the corporatized medical model. Now, after saying all that, I want to make it very clear that I'm not completely dissing the Western medical model. I am, however, dissing the corporatized 
the corporatization and dogma that has become of it. I'm also uh, dissing the arrogance that accompanies the dogma from the practitioners who choose profit over compassion. And there's some serious problems with these corporatized industries. And this is what so many people are fed up with. This is why there are so many more people today looking for solutions that align with what feels right in, in our guts rather than what we're told to believe by today's culture gone sideways. So here's my take. Western medicine is great for diagnostics and emergency situations, but as far as I'm concerned, that's about it. Beyond that, at least in my own life, I will then choose an integrative or holistic route. And also, as far as I'm concerned, the pill-pushing corporate medical model no longer has room in the paradigm of truth and love that is emerging from people like yourself out there listening who are fed up and looking for so much better from this world. So needless to say, as a status quo crusher with a voracious hunger for truth, I know that there is always better. And this is what I seek out. The modern medical model doesn't inspire much confidence in me, so I seek out practitioners who have adopted uh, an integrative whole system approach to healing all four bodies, emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical. So now this week we talked to a veterinarian and when I was young, I grew up reading James Harriet books and I loved, loved, loved those books. I read every one of them, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, all things bright and beautiful, and so on. And if you don't know James Harriet's work, he was a British veterinarian who wrote a series of books and stories about the animals and people he met in his many years of practicing in the English countryside. And I felt inspired and connected when I read his books because he was a veterinarian who cared and his stories were just so heartwarming. And this is the mindset that I grew up with for all healing modalities. It's the way I thought it should be. And for a lot of my life, it was. And I I used to love going to see our family doctor and, and dentist or the veterinarian. I loved being with these people because they cared so much. And there was a, a depth of connection that sadly is no longer prevalent in today's profit-driven world. It was actually fun to be with them. Like, can you imagine looking forward to going see, to see your dentist? <laughs> he was amazing. Dr. Lang, love that guy. But, you know, back in that, in those days, they didn't prey on fear. They didn't push pills. They didn't sell me into anything that was unnecessary. They were minimalists who loved their work and truly wanted to see their clients heal. So I'm not really sure when the corporatization of all of this happened, but it changed everything. And personally, it really upsets me. It became more competitive and selfish and impersonal and integrity seemed to go the way of the dinosaur. The heart-to-heart connection disappeared and like millions of others, I've lost my trust in many of these professionals. Quite frankly, I'm really grateful whenever I find anyone who still practices from integrity and that deep sense of personal connection. And it doesn't matter whether it's a hairdresser, a mechanic, a dentist, chiropractor or a veterinarian who uh, 
despite the fear-based profit-driven culture that seduces so many in their fields, they remain in their truth with integrity and they do their work for the sheer love of it. Yes, they make a living from it, but not at the expense of their integrity and their passion for, uh, for healing. And the difference is radical when we're with somebody like that compared to the corporatized medical model. The love and the passion and the compassion for their work is palpable. And it's also contagious. Makes you want to go back. So in my own life, I seek out integrative approach, uh, an integrative approach from the status quo crushers who practice true healing from a full body, mind, spirit perspective. And these are the people who have risen above the monetary seduction of the corporate medical model and have maintained their passion for true healing. The love of their work and the deep desire to heal trumps all else. So these are the practitioners I align with for both myself and for the animals in my life. And quite honestly, I am so deeply grateful to the healers of today who are courageous enough to integrate modern medicine and energetic modalities and ancient wisdom so that the entire mind-body-spirit complex is taken into account. Because I realize, and I think a lot of us are nowadays, that the status quo world of medicine is powerful with its oppressive tactics and uh, pharmaceutical industry, of course, with its oppressive tactics aimed at those who break free from uh, the confining system that has been created. And they also go to great lengths to discredit the really, the brave, the brave souls who are inspired by truth and a deep calling to serve and to heal. So I'm even more grateful that the paradigm is shifting and that so many people are fed up with the archaic medical model that is now breaking down because it makes it easier for the true healers to do what they were born to do. And today we speak about veterinary medicine among many other really amazing topics. And I want you to know that you don't have to be a victim to the profit-driven medical model that the corporate veterinary profession has become, which is the same as it all. Pushing drugs, excessive diagnostics, and prescription junk foods such as Hills and Medi-Cal, which we see everywhere in corporate vet clinics here in North America. And I'm sure that there's probably other versions of the same prescription vet in air quotes, quotes, I say foods in other countries, um, if they're not there as well. But here's the deal with this crap. If you look at the ingredients on the cans and bags, you will see that they consist um, of pretty well byproducts, meat meal, and preservatives. And behind all of those rather innocent sounding words, you know, words like meat byproducts and meat meal are pretty horrific manufacturing practices that would make your stomach churn. So I'm not going to get into it, but just, it's pretty disgusting. And I invite you to do a quick Google search of your own to discover the truth about um, these so-called foods. It's nasty. And the corporate vets push this stuff all the time because it's profitable for their clinics. And because it's garbage, it makes for more vet visits. That's the way it goes. When we eat junk, we get sick and it makes no difference what species we are. And just as an aside, in our own home, we make our dog food. For the most part, our guys are vegan, but I want to state this fact 
we do not impose our values on any of our animals. So we actually supplement the dog's diet with eggs from local farmers whose chickens we see roaming around freely. I would have it no other way since my personal ethics are already being compromised with this choice. But I want to make sure that they have um, optimal nutrition. We also feed them organic bones a couple of times per month. And, you know, they've both been on the raw meat diet and they love it. But we're now experimenting with our current way to, to minimize our impact on the animal production system, the animal slaughtering, ugh, the disgusting system that we've normalized as okay. And as long as our dogs continue to thrive, they're going to remain eating this way. And if things change, we're not going to hesitate to feed them raw once again. So yes, this is the vegan hypocrisy of living in a world with animal companions who love to eat meat. And now it's time for a Deb rant. Okay, I'm going to rant about truth because we live in a world where there are true carnivores who need flesh for survival and human beings are not one of them. We can get away with it as omnivores or whatever we want to call ourselves, but we don't do it very well, as you can see from the chronic preventable health problems so prevalent in today's world. And humans kill for gluttony and greed, not for survival. So all of this excessive violence exists because of the collective addiction to flesh and animal secretions. And if you haven't already listened to episode number 60 with Howard Lyman, He spoke really eloquently and passionately about this topic. So the addiction comes from belief systems as well as the physiological addictions that accompany these belief systems. And this is what often morphs into a violent form of dogma that we believe to be true at all costs. And dogma is what controls us and ensures that we walk the same path collectively to support the same consumptive machine that causes so much harm. So to end this rant, we don't need to eat meat or anything that comes from animals for that matter. We actually thrive without it physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. End of rant. So back to the dogs. So we make their food And they get homemade organic ingredients with no preservatives, no junk, and they're thriving. And as far as our cats are concerned, we feed them the raw food diet. And yes, it's gross in our vegan household. However, the option is to feed them processed kibble or canned food, neither of which sits well with me. So even the higher end kibbles and canned foods are junky because they're processed. So, you know, I liken it to living on tofurkey slices or some, you know, processed faux meat stuff and like canned soups or something junky rather than whole food um, that's, you know, plant-based made out of fresh grains and greens that I thrive on now. And cats are true carnivores, so we feed them a biologically appropriate diet. And our cats are thriving, and many of the cats in our household are healthy well into their later teen years. Now, there's a reason for all of this talk about integrative medicine, integrity, passion, wisdom, and wellness, because this week 
I am very pleased to bring to you the voice of someone who has courageously explored alternatives and practices in an integrative way that is making a significant difference in the lives of not only the animals that she treats, but also the people who love the animals that she treats. And I can't express enough how grateful I am for the time that I had with Marlene Smith in Jesse's final days with us. And even though she was the bearer of the sad news that I did not want to admit within myself about uh, Jesse's looming departure, she delivered the reality to my partner and I with such love, wisdom, and compassion that it was... It was a softer blow. Let's just say that's the only way I can really put it. And there's so many things I really love about visiting with Dr. Smith. There's, uh, well, very obviously, there's the beautiful woman herself, who, and, and she is a very special soul, as you will hear in this week's conversation. And she's also created a really special atmosphere at the Phoenix Rising Vet Clinic in Courtney on Vancouver Island. And the whole ambiance at her clinic, um, it doesn't have that cold medical feeling that we're all so familiar with, with doctor's offices, whatever the case may be, whether it's a veterinarian, a dentist, or a regular doctor office. It actually feels more like a spa. And the animals pick up on that immediately. So when, when Jessie was alive, she was terrified of veterinarians and the clinics and that said a lot to me she would shake with fear and it was actually gut-wrenching to witness because there was just nothing that could calm her down but when we arrived at dr smith's clinic she was actually really eager to enter the building and there's no metal tables or harsh lighting it's all soft wall colors and little futon examination beds and really soft lighting it's very soothing and you can feel it immediately and it's it's uh it's it's relaxing for all of us so the energy that's created right from the get-go is so beautiful that's taken that's been taken into account and they also don't have shelves and shelves lined with medical and hills prescription crap food so it's a, a completely different experience there and as a companion animal mom, I believe that this is the way it must be. This is the paradigm that I'm working my butt off to normalize for everyone, regardless of species. And um, just one more thing I want to add. Another bonus that we discovered towards the end of our visit back in October of last year is that both Dr. Smith and her clinic partner, Dr. Radhika Raj, do not eat animals. That's right, folks. Veggie vets. Go figure. <laughs> I actually once saw a Facebook meme post that read, veterinarians, the only profession where you get to eat your patients. That one really stuck with me because of the sad reality of it. So needless to say, I am grateful for the additional bonus that we now have veggie vets in our lives who walk it, talk it, and live it. 
animals are their life because they actually love them. All of them. End of story. So, without further ado, and no further rants, I present to you a woman who I deeply, deeply respect. Dr. Marlene Smith. Marlene, before we actually really, really launch into the deeper part of the conversation, I want to publicly thank you from the bottom of my heart for how you helped us come to a place of acceptance with Jesse's recent transition. And, you know, I know that although there was nothing that could be done to save her life, you were able to offer us all of us actually a profound sense of peace from a a really deeply spiritual place that made the last 40 days with Jesse so sacred that it's actually indescribable. So I just want to thank you for your wisdom and your love and your compassion at a time when it was needed the most. And especially because I know that you had recently said goodbye to the love of your life a few days before we saw you. So, so this is, um, I just want to start with a heaping dose of gratitude because what you did for us meant more to all of us than words can ever express. And I would like to reply to that quickly by saying you're most welcome. And it was not me. I was just a mouthpiece. And I thank Jesse for bringing you, all three of you, all four of you, I guess. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> to right. To the office. Um, teaching me more and advancing my understanding in this process of accepting the passing of a loved one. Because as you said, I was still deeply hurting and grieving over my own dog, my own love of my life. And it helped me. It was almost like he was speaking also through you and Jesse. And it was not just Jesse. I'm sure that he was there to to help me to, you know, to understand more about this passing and more accepting the passing. Mm. I've actually got goosebumps as you're saying that. And that's, to me, whenever I get that kind of a physiological reaction, I know that it's it's not my mind speaking. This is my soul saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep, yeah. <laughs> so um, I just want to, I, I want to back up just a little bit because I know that you've had a really lengthy career as a veterinarian. And I always love really setting a solid foundation and, sharing with people how it all began for you so i mean you don't have to go way back into the archives just give us give us a snapshot of your path and what inspired you towards this work and really share with us how it evolved into something that is so much bigger from an energetic and holistic and integrative perspective because that is what is just so that is the light that I, I see in you every time I, I see you. And it's, it's obvious that this, this passion for healing is so deep within you. And, um, and yeah, just if you could just give us an idea of how it all began, that would be great. Okay, I tried to do that in a synopsis. It's not easy because <laughs> it's a whole life. It's a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's a long life there. So um, really, oh, I was always attracted to animals. I always had a dog and the dog was for me always the one that I would ask answers if I had questions. And when I was about probably, I must have been about 10 or 11, maybe, no, I was probably younger. When I was a young kid before, no, I was 11. We had a boxer dog 
and the dog had demodex mange. And in those days, it was treated with heavy chemicals to try to kill the mites. And it didn't kill the mites, but it killed the dog. Oh. And the dog was only two years old when he had to be put to sleep. And um, I, I used to take the dog to the vet as a kid. And after the dog had been put to sleep, I promised the dog that I would find the better way of treating this disease in the dogs, even if it had, had to go beyond the knowledge of Western medicine. So once you make that commitment to a dog, <laughs> you get on your path. So there was no question in my mind after that I wanted to be a vet. So when I graduated from high school and I went to university, they did not want to accept me as a vet because one, I was too many numbers of kids who wanted to be a vet and there was not enough space. And two, I was a girl and boys have higher privileges than girls. And three, my marks at high school were not high enough. So I was channeled out and told I could not be a vet. So I decided maybe I should be a PE teacher, but no, that didn't work for me. And then I decided maybe an MD, medical doctor. So I followed their courses and then suddenly a law case decided that the government had or the university had done an illegal act and boom, I was back in university to be a vet. So I went through university to become a vet and I was one of those people that always would ask why. Why does this dog get parvo and that dog doesn't? Hmm. Um, so it was always in me to question Western scientific medicine. So I graduated, and then after graduation, I moved to Canada, and I started to work as a Western vet, in, first in large animals, cows and pigs and goats and horses. And then later on, I slowly moved into the small animals. When I had been... Oh, I'd been a vet for probably five or six years. I then saw a dog that had hip dysplasia. It was a young dog, a golden retriever, lovely dog. And its owner had decided to put it to sleep because it had hip dysplasia. And he didn't want the Western drugs to treat the dog. I had just heard about acupuncture at that time. And I said to the owner, I've heard of acupuncture. Do you mind if... I treat the dog with acupuncture. And he said, no, I don't want anybody to experiment on my dog. And he said, do you mind if I take the dog? And I will look after it, and I will treat it with acupuncture. And he said, no, I'm not giving anybody else my dog. And he insisted I had to put the dog to sleep. Oh. I, had not, I had no choice in those days when you're young and you work for somebody else, you have no choice. So I did put the dog to sleep, and the dog looked me straight in my eyes. And I said, I make you a promise. You're going to be the last dog ever that has to die through my hands because you have hip dysplasia. And I will find a better way to treat hip dysplasia. And I will not stop until I have found that way and other dogs will benefit. So that was my second commitment. <laughs> so then I started to investigate in Chinese medicine and acupuncture. And from that, I came involved, became involved with the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association and with a whole array of people with different understanding and different approaches to healing, herbal medicine, homeopathy, acupuncture, dowsing, um, chiropractics, you mentioned it, all these different modalities. And it was for me like a kid going into a candy shop mm. instead of just one tool there was a vast array of tools that I could use to treat the animals. So I studied them and I took my courses and I 
graduated, and then I came back to Canada. This was all in the United States because Canada had no such thing to try to put it into practice. But there were no teachers here. But the teachers were the dogs. So this is where I made my connection again with the dogs. So from there, to make a long story short, I studied all these different modalities and started to apply them. And then over the next 25 years or so, I learned to learn my way into it and apply it properly. And so that is how I became the person I am now, practicing still Western scientific medicine, practicing homeopathy, acupuncture, herbal medicine, chiropractics. And now I'm becoming bilingual because I compare the one to the other so I can understand Western medicine and Oriental medicine and go vice versa and translate it. And it's been extremely gratifying to offer more tools to the art of healing than what I just have learned at that school. Oh, that is amazing. And I have to say that what I what I appreciate so much about your approach is that you explore the entire picture. So you explore emotions, environment, the mental aspect and the spiritual component, as well as of course, the the physical aspect. And, you know, it's, it's too bad that it's still so rare in our culture, but I'm grateful that there are people out there like you. And I know that for myself that I've seen, um, I've seen that when I work with practitioners, you know, with my animals as well as for myself, that see the whole picture, the holistic picture, that integrative approach is actually so much more powerful. And even, you know, like with Jessie, for instance, you know, Jessie was terrified of veterinarians. She would shake uncontrollably. She hated going into clinics. She's a, she was a very sensitive, sensitive little being. But whenever we went to your clinic, she could hardly wait to get into the building because, you know, just the way you set it up energetically, the rooms had little futons rather than the, the cold clinical metal tables. Uh, I remember the room that we were in when we were with you, you had a water fountain running and soothing colors on the walls. I mean, walking into your clinic is, it's like walking into a spa. The, like the energy is just so soothing. So you've taken it all into account that power of energy and it is profound how it makes such a difference not only for um, you know for for me as a client walking in but witnessing my animals when they when they walked in was just incredible yeah and it's interesting you see that because of course in my courses to learn about <clears throat> Yang, yin and yang in the Chinese medicine, they talk about the energy, the non-physical, and have wondered, what are they talking about? Because in Western science, we don't have that. Mm -hmm. So I reached into quantum physics, where quantum physics talks about the energies. And I was totally fascinated with that. And I was fortunate enough to have a friend who is an architect and who liked to, who believed that buildings have energies. So we talked lengthy when I wanted to build the building, which is currently the clinic. And I want to have a feng shui design, but I also needed somebody who could understand how to create specific energies in the building. So he designed the building and then another friend 
who built the building also believed in energy and he put love, lots of love and care in building the building. So it is very interesting to hear from you and I know from many other people have said it as well that the animals can't wait to get in. They whine when they get out of the car and they pull their people into the door and they are so happy to get in there and to see us. They say, I can't believe it because my dog is always shaking and shivering going anywhere else. But here, they love coming here. Oh, yeah. I mean, even in the parking lot, she was excited yeah. to be there. Isn't that interesting? And this is something that I think that we are missing out big time as humans. Mm -hmm. If we only think about economics and we think about the next car we want to buy or we're worried about our paycheck or when governments who are supposed to be our leaders and talk about growth national product, I think we're missing 50% of why we are here, which is these energies, these energies that make us feel good. And it is not just imagination. They actually exist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, we, you know, when we were chatting earlier, um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, we're we're trapped in a culture that believes that we are our physical bodies and you know and, and we identify solely with the physical body and we become so spiritually vacant as a result and it's sad what this world has become now i realize that there seems to be a, a growing movement towards more holistic modalities a more expansive way of thinking where we you know, where we're not negating the soul, we're not negating the, the energy, the, the non-physical, but we still have a long way to go. But I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on this from your own personal perspective, like what you've seen maybe throughout your career and what, you're, what you feel, if you feel that this shift is happening as well. Um, that's a good question because I always doubt that it does. I've been told it has shifted and I'm a very skeptical person. I'm quite involved sometimes in protecting the environment, especially parks and animals. And I see governments all over making decisions um, and corporations making decisions that do not really give me any idea or any suggestions that human consciousness is actually shifting. When I still hear that people go out to kill each other, and you hear it on the radio and the television every day, I don't. I am not personally. I don't see that shift, and I am not so sure if we are here to see that shift. I think the shift is in our own personal development and our personal consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I see people like myself shifting and things that I already knew. It kind of feels to me sometimes I came here already knowing that. And then getting the physical body separates me from that knowledge. And just like me integrating Oriental knowledge with Western knowledge, I see Western knowledge as the yin, the physical part, just like our physical bodies. And I see the young part, I see that as the non-physical, I see that as the awareness. And as long as we are in this physical body, it is very difficult for most of us to live on both sides at the same time, in the physical and non-physical, and to be bilingual in the physical and non-physical, in the yin and the yang. And some people have the privileges to be able to make that shift and experiencing it and getting 
as a reward, um, a feeling of, I would say, a feeling of universal acceptance. The way when you connect with your dog or your animal, or when I go hiking, or sometimes when I'm in the wilderness, when I suddenly feel, yes, I am one. I'm one with the trees and the bears and the water and the sky. And yes, the First Nation people were right. We are all related. These are all my relations. It is not just a hokey-pokey type of expression. There was a very deep sense of truth in it. So I am not so sure that, to be honest with you, if the purpose is actually the shift of consciousness, I think to experience what happens if we don't live and honor the non-physical and the connection with the non-physical, what can happen and to witness what can happen. And, that, and it is the learning. Just for me, like when I climb a mountain, it is not to get to the top, it is to enjoy the journey and to stop smell the flowers and to create increase awareness mm-hmm. so i'm not so sure if human consciousness if the purpose actually is for human consciousness to shift i'm not so sure about that i'm starting to doubt that i've always worked towards it because i've always believed that would be wonderful if one day we as humans can live in peace balance and harmony with all that lives on this planet it would be utopia as the Buddhist religion says, once that happens, you no longer need to be reincarnated. So you no longer need to be here. So human consciousness then has no need to exist. So as long as human consciousness wants to exist on this planet, there has to be this learning going on. It sounds maybe a little bit silly when I say that, but I kind of have the feeling that the utopia, when we reach that utopia, we no longer need to be here. Maybe then we become dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. You know, I've never, I've never heard it put that way. What I'm noticing is that, uh, you know, if we look at things from a, uh, like a, a broad perspective, it looks like there's more violence. It looks like it's, everything's just breaking down at an accelerated rate. But what I'm noticing in my, you know, in my lifetime, in my 50 plus years of life, that there's a grassroots movement that's different that than anything that I've ever experienced before. And it seems like people, individuals, like you said, individuals are changing. Individuals are fed up with this world. And they're, you know, it's, uh, I think one of the conversations that you and I had a little while back, you said that healing the world begins with healing ourselves and we can't heal anything unless we're whole ourselves and i feel like at least from my own um from my own perspective that there's a grassroots movement of people who are examining themselves saying oh my god i need to make some changes here and that is that to me i i this is what i see as the consciousness that's shifting now whether it's actually going to amount to anything that actually uh, uh, recovers civilization in a way that's more in line with who we are spiritually is anyone's guess. But I'm feeling optimistic. Well, that is wonderful to hear. (laughs) (laughs) 
And it's an intuitive thing, Marlene. It's really like I feel it viscerally. That doesn't mean that I don't see all of the crap that's going on. You know, like I I get so disheartened sometimes when I'm out walking my dogs and, and I'm just like picking up people's garbage on the beach constantly and the styrofoam and the plastic and it's just like oh my god what on earth have we done to this planet how how have we degraded so much that you know this this beautiful beautiful blue ball floating in the sky has just become a giant waste bin for our consumptive patterns and then I just you know when I go into a meditation there's there's a shift and I realize that it's if I look at the if I look at the big picture, it's discouraging. But if I stay focused on all of the beautiful people that are emerging in my life who have made significant changes in their own lives where they're, you know, connecting to a deeper sense of purpose and actually, you know, facilitating significant change on this planet, that's what gives me this this hope for a different world. Whether it'll ever be utopia, who knows? I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I have. I cannot see in my own life, sixty-five years, <laughs> that it has more acted like the true wave in the form of quantum physics. We have it goes up and it goes down. At some parts in my life, I remember when I was in my twenties, I walked together with people to get gay and lesbian rights in Holland, and. I felt, yes, we are making a shift in consciousness. But it is going to happen. People are going to accept people no matter what their sexual orientation or the care or whatever they think or do. People are going to be equal and everybody is going to accept everybody that way. And I felt wonderful. And then I came to Canada 20 years later and we were right at square one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not accepted. And I felt like, wow, I was high on top of the wave, and boom, now I'm right on the bottom. The same with oriental medicine and acupuncture. When I started with acupuncture, my veterinary association warned me, said the last veterinarian veterinarian who did acupuncture lost his license. And, of course, that was enough of a challenge to me to say, well, I hope you have good lawyers. (laughs) Right to court. And then it changed. After I said that, it changed. Veterinarians became interested, and we organized courses, and I thought, yes, I think we're making a progress here. Other veterinarians are catching on. They seem to be a whole group of friends and all working together and being collegial and supporting each other, and it seemed to be wonderful. And then another 20 years later, the tides turned again that these veterinarians, these same veterinarians, and most of them were my students, suddenly turned against each other and became competitive and became like everybody else. And it all became economics. And yes, I can get angry, upset, depressed about it, but I accept that that is the phenomena of the wave. Hmm. So I do hope, of course, I always have hope that one day majority of humanity will find the peace and harmony and balance and in the the absolute beauty that comes with it you no longer need to be bipolar or angry or frustrated or you want to be dominant or you feel threatened by somebody because you know you can just go with the flow and it will all be beautiful and perfect so i hope that that will happen to the majority of humanity and what i said earlier on it is beautiful when you are observing it and when you have hope yes 
Yeah. And I am not personally, I'm not 100% convinced if that's what this is all about. <laughs> you understand what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's a, a, like I said, a very different perspective. Um, but you know what? <laughs> I'm going to stick with the hope because that's what feeds my soul. And I know that uh, when I take my last breath, I'll know that I did everything that I humanly could in this you know, finite body to make a difference in the world. And, you know, really, I guess that's what it comes down to is, is we just need to come from that place inside of us. We need to live from that place inside of us. That's all about truth and love. And when we come from that place, how can we go wrong? Right? Absolutely. And that is a fascinating thing too, that, um, in, Chinese medicine, I shouldn't say Chinese medicine, Taoist medicine. And Taoist medicine evolved in the area that we now call China, but it is really Chinese medicine is not the correct word for it. They have that life is a combination of the fire, the spark of the fire from the heart, from the yang, the non-physical, the spiritual, combined with the physical. And so when you said about your body, yes, your physical body will be finite. And I have become to experience more and more that that non-physical part connects with that physical part. And it always is the question of the chicken and the egg, what came first? Is the yin part there first, the physical part, which is the physical body that is created by conception? And does that provide a home for the spirit? And when it is finished, the spirit separates. And I'm not so sure because I also have experienced that the thought, the non-physical, you could call it the spirit, is capable of creating a yin body that will then accept that spirit. So when you say that you're, when you lay your physical body to rest, I think there is much more. The true you is a very large part is the thought, the non-physical concept, the call it spirit, the soul, whatever you want to call it, which is connected to a whole other group of spirits and souls that actually gives, creates a yin body and gives that soul an opportunity to express itself in the yin body. So when you lay your physical body to rest, you then become your true self again. Do you understand? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, and that's, that's exactly what I've discovered uh, actually over the years, like after breaking through the conditioning that, you know, we're all conditioned. We were birthed into this world to be conditioned to believe a certain paradigm, which is separation, that we're separate entities that, uh, you know, compete and consume and conform to a certain thought pattern. But when we break three, free from that, that's when we can remember, like it's a remembering that we are that bigger part that you just talked about. Call it the soul, the spirit, whatever you want to call it. And I, yeah. I find that it's a massive perceptual shift. So talking, you know, from a, from a perceptual perspective, an embodied perceptual perspective when we realize that the body is is uh, the conduit for our soul to express itself it's a completely different experience life experience it is and that is very true and fortunate are those of us who are still able to connect with 
nature. Mm-hmm. There are lots of people that are not able to connect to nature. And so when you walk on the beach, you were talking about earlier on, you get an emotion, you get a feeling, and it might not always be possible to express that in words. But let's say it is a beautiful day and maybe there's a sunset that is beautiful, the birds are walking around, there is a wind, there is a sound, there is a singing of birds, and it is all all so harmonious and peaceful and beautiful. And you can get yourself completely lost in that. And your whole body and your whole awareness fills with, indeed, the only emotion that you can describe it is love. Absolutely. And your heart rate change, your thought change, and some people can get tears in their eyes, and it's all you're overwhelmed with love. And you're very fortunate to be able to connect with that because not everybody can. And it is a feeling of you don't need to worry what other people think about you, about the color of your hair or being a male or a female or what religion you are. It's totally not important you feel totally accepted and you feel one all of with everything. And to be able to connect and hang on to that connection and trust that connection is like people that ski, it's just like you have a beautiful run in deep powder snow or people that surf, you catch the wave. It is a feeling of connection that will guide you. And once you understand that guidance and you are able to trust it, the world and life looks so different. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's one of my missions is to help people remember that. And it sounds like that's definitely one of yours as well. And I'm so grateful for that. And there's no question. And I'm forever eternally grateful for the domestic animals and the wild animals in my life that have been my best teachers in this. Mm. You know, I'd love to chat about that now too. Like, you know, you've been touching a lot on uh, Chinese medicine or Taoist medicine. And I'm wondering if, if you could just give us like a really brief Coles Notes version of how it all works. I know that it's all based on um, organs and meridians and that it's you know an energy but I'd love if you could just give us like a, a all of us just a, a little idea of what it all encompasses oh my goodness I know that's a big question is <laughs> you you're trying to uh, you know, what you're asking me is to try to say in five minutes what has evolved <laughs> for probably six or ten thousands of years <laughs> So if I would say in a nutshell, the difference between Taoist medicine and Western scientific medicine is that Taoist medicine is based on the phenomena and the things that happen on the earth. And they say that they believe, there is a belief that we are no difference. We are a child of the earth. We are a part of the earth. So the same influences that created the earth, the planet, and as a matter of fact, the whole universe have also an influence on us and on our organs and our emotions. So they see that in the five element creation went as follows. First, there is nothing, which is the, the Tao or the Li, whatever you want to call it. And that's through a spinning action, it separates into just like the centrifugal force into the physical, something becomes physical, the energy particles become more dense, and that's what they call yin. So you could call the 
earth, yin, or your physical body, yin. And then there is the opposite part, which is the non-physical, which they call yang. And the balance of life is to keep the yin and yang into balance. So they separate that out further by saying the yang would be the day and activity and transformation, while the yin is the receptive, is the solid, is the organs, is the female, the yang would be the male. And so that, that is where China, or Taoist medicine looks at an imbalance in yin and yang. And then it goes further, the yang would be on the outside, the yin would be on the inside. The yang are acute diseases, the yin are chronic diseases. So ultimately, that is what we are looking for, to see if there's something too much of something that is called an excess, or if there's not enough of something, then that there's a deficiency. So the way, the way we treat it, we would try to drain the excess and nourish the deficiency. If it is too cold, we add warming herbs. If it is too hot, we add cooling herbs. So the principle is very simple, very down to earth. And then there is another part to it, which is the creation. So that creation cycle is looking at the elements that, as far as the Taoist philosophy was concerned, forms the principle of creation on earth, which the most important part is water. As you know, most of our earth is water. Mm -hmm. Most of our body is water. They say life is not possible without water. So they go to the water element first and they say when a baby is born, before it is born, it's in the amniotic fluid sac with all the fluids around it and it is all water. That is how life starts. And from there, the water will feed the vegetation. So the first part that we are born is, is called the water element. The second part is called the wood element. So they will give things to that, emotions to that. It is the emotion of life bursting through the earth and trees reaching for the sky and plants going wherever they're going to go and finding the best opportunity. So it is the phase of exploration and of um, curiosity, um, leadership. And then in the next phase we get when you when the wood gets too rich and too far gone, um, the wood can burn and the burn creates the fire. So the fire is also symbolized by the sun, but the fire is also symbolized as an expert of creation, which would be relating to organs such as the heart, but also to emotions such as passion and love and sexuality. That is the teenage years where people try to push the boundaries and see how far they can go and where we can sometimes, when it is out of control, go too far. And when we go too far, pushing the boundaries, the yin and the yang will separate. And that is why teenage kids have a high mortality rate. Hmm. So when that is over, we get into the nurturing section, which is the earth. Finally, from the earth, because when fire burns, you create ashes, and then you get the earth. So the earth phase would be the nurturing. It would be related to digestive organs mother's milk, emotions related to that, worrying, taking care of. And from the earth, it forms mountains, which compressed forms the metal. And from the, the mountains run the water, which goes back to the sea, and we're back in the, into the water element again. So that metal phase would be 
I guess, the phase where I am in right now, where you assess your life and you connect it with the spirit and follow the spiritual path more. Is wisdom, wisdom of the elders, um, decision making, the eagle's view, etc. So, when we look at Taoist medicine, we're really looking at what are the emotions, what organs are out of balance, how can we balance it out, what is the yin and yang out of balance, who needs help in the body, who needs suppressing or draining a little bit. So, it is very much more nature oriented. That was a long answer to a very big question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember that when we were with you, uh, with Jesse, that you had mentioned that she had liver cheese stagnation, and you gave us a beautiful explanation about that. And I know that that was uh, a really big question that we needed answered as well. But you, you, you know, you were able to Provide us with an answer that was meaningful and, and succinct, too, and one that we could understand. But, I, you know, one of the things that I really, really, really appreciated when we were there is the gift that you gave us when you spoke to us about the, the Eastern perspective on life and death and reincarnation. And, you know, it was that is actually what changed everything for us. And I remember when you were uh, you were exploring that deep pulse within Jesse, and that's when you told us that her yin and yang were splitting. And I had never heard that before, but the description or the explanation that you gave to us was not only meaningful, but it was so loving, and it just again it just shifted everything for us it brought us to a place of acceptance where we were able to all relax in the last 40 days of her life and in those 40 days it was utterly profound what happened the love was indescribable Marlene it was like I will never forget those last 40 days after we saw you it was so sacred and you and I had a conversation a few weeks ago about that and you mentioned that when the spirit starts to leave and I'm going to have to just paraphrase but I'm going to let you expand on this but you said when the spirit starts to leave that the love starts to expand and I would be so grateful if you could explain what it means when the yin and yang start to split and how that affects the relationship when a being is about to transition. Let me see where I will start. First of all, I will start with the concept of the yin and the yang. So the yin and the yang, yin being the physical body and the yang being the non-physical body or the non-physical part of the individual, whether we talk about a dog or we're talking about a tree or we're talking about a person or a horse or a cat, the two of them are kept together because of mutual attraction. And the two, the, uh, the attraction of the two interacting, the yin and the yang interacting to create what we call chi or life force. Now the yang being non-physical has a tendency to expand and it gets bigger. When it gets bigger and it gets bigger and the bigger and the yin body starts to shrivel up, it gets dehydrated, it gets smaller and smaller. At some point, the yin, the yin body can no longer hold 
the yarn into place. A little bit similar to a butterfly growing in a cocoon and wants to get out and then suddenly it pops out. When I feel the pulse, or I was told when I took the course, I was told there's one pulse that I cannot have you feel, but you will find it. And when you find it, you will understand what I'm talking about. Where the pulse alternates, it goes right to the top, which means that when I put my finger barely on the pulse, I can feel it very strong. And the next moment, it disappears into the bottom. So it goes right down to the bottom, and then it comes up again to the top, and then it goes down again to the bottom. You see, when you feel that, it is the yin and the yang interacting with each other, and the yang really wanting to leave, and the yin... So when the young wants to leave, it goes to the top because it wants to leave. But the yin desperately hanging on to that young and pulling it back down to the bottom again. When you feel a pulse like that, most of the time the person is ready to leave. This was on people ready to leave between three and six weeks. The average is about three weeks. And I have not felt that pulse very often, but every time I have felt a pulse, it was always in that time frame between three and six weeks, and the average was three or four weeks. So it has made me wonder, and when you were visiting me, I told you I just lost my own love of my life, like Jesse was your love of your life. A beautiful big Bernese mountain dog, and I knew he was going to die. He had cancer, just like your Jesse dog. And I went through these phases of already of grieving, disbelief. It's not possible that he's possibly gone. He can't leave me. I can't live without him. To guilt feeling. I'm a veterinarian. I should be able to give my dog the eternal life. It's my fault that he's going to die because I can't fix him. To from, hey, wait a minute, lady. What's going on here? Do you really you believe you are God? So I then had to talk to the dog, and I sat down with the dog and just apologized and told him I didn't want to leave and how much I loved him. I'm starting to choke up now. So <laughs> my, life, so my life would never be the same. And then I became very quiet, like you were meditating at the ocean, and I became very quiet, and I didn't think about anything. And then came a very clear message to me. I, too, came here for a purpose. My purpose was to teach you and help you understand what unconditional love is and enjoy day by day. I have done everything I could for you and you have done everything you could do for me. So now it is my time to join the eternal and ever bigger expanding love. It is not just my love. I'm just a little spark of the universal love. That love will never be lost. My physical body can no longer contain this big, beautiful spirit. And I have to let this physical body go because life in this physical body is very unpleasant for this beautiful spirit that I really am. And suddenly I had the understanding and I suddenly had to thank for this beautiful teaching because me too, I too, don't like to see my loved ones go. And I do grieve and feel this is not true. I will never have another dog like this again. And he taught me in his last few days of his life, which is totally stunning, that a dying dog can still teach you something, to trust and understand that what I loved in that 
beautiful dog with a beautiful spirit. Whenever I saw his eyes, whenever I touched him, whenever I was near to him, I felt like I was just carried like a little baby on a beautiful, beautiful day in a beautiful surroundings. And all I could feel was total acceptance and total love. And I understood that it was not just the dog. It was the general collective spirit of love and of creation. And I then could accept that it was not fair to keep the beautiful spirit back in this little shriveled up body that was no longer capable of carrying that spirit. And I should have let it go free like a butterfly that comes out of the cocoon and then flaps its wings and is beautiful in color and dances in the sky in happiness and pure joy. So that really my life was already changing, but that really changed my perspective to understand accepting love and letting go. Well, we obviously came to you at the right time for so many reasons. <laughs> I just had had a magic teacher teaching me and Jesse wanted you to hear about that. The animals do bring that people to me. Um, in the past, I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. I can't share this with anybody. I just keep this quiet. But now it has happened so many times to me that I feel, yes, I can share this. If the animals are really bringing the people, and it's not so much about the animal, but they want me to be the mouthpiece for them to help their people, I feel okay now to talk about it. I'm so grateful for that. And you know, I, trust <laughs> I trust them. I trust they will be there and support me. And yes, sooner or later, somebody will come after me, but that's okay. You only come after my physical being and after my physical body and all the things that they hang on to it, you know, like licenses, permits, and whatever, sanity, and whatever else it is. Those are just labels. But the true love that I receive when I accept the task that I feel the animals asking from me and they are always very appreciative there's no question yeah and we live in a culture where we judge the wisdom of beings based on the bodysuit that they wear and I have to say that from my own personal experiences I have learned so much more about life and love and gratitude and simplicity and wisdom and kindness from animals than I ever have from humans. And, and, you know, and that's not negating that I haven't learned a lot through humans, but, you know, quite honestly, it's nothing compared to the vast spiritual wisdom that has come from animals. And mm -hmm. I know, you know, you, you mentioned a few stories before we actually started about, um, uh, there was a woman who I think was with a cat that she came in and the cat, she was going to have the cat euthanized. And the cat said, no, because there's a couple of things that you need to understand first. Anyway, I'm wondering if you could share a few of your stories of this, uh, you know, the intuition and the, the wisdom that you've learned from animals. Hmm, yes. I know we talked about other ones, but the one that is probably the most on my mind forever in this realm is a person who adopted an older spaniel from the pound. And when I say older, this dog was older, was 11 or something like that. So most people adopt a puppy, not many people adopt an old dog. 
not only was his dog old, it was also deaf and blind and had arthritis and other illnesses. So that is puzzling to me in the first place. Why would somebody want to adopt an animal in that state? So she came to me to ask me what I could do to help the animal. Well, it's pretty difficult to help an animal that is blind and deaf and arthritic and old, maybe older than 11. And I was totally puzzled by it. What, what was this all about? And then the dog sat in front of me, put its head on my lap, didn't want me to stroke it, but just stared at me. And then suddenly I heard myself talk about death and dying and accepting death and dying and about what I just said earlier on about when the physical body is no longer capable to keep the spirit within, that the spirit can escape this body and then pop out like a butterfly in the sky and I could see this butterfly flying. And I was listening to myself talking, like I was sitting on another seat and I thought, holy my God, that is incredible. I've never heard this before. Where does this come from? Meanwhile, the dog had laid down and when I asked this question, where did it come from? It just about looked up and wagged its tail. This dog was deaf, but he looked up at me and wagged its tail. And I thought, oh, geez, could that be the dog? Is the dog actually channeling through me? But I stopped questioning it and finished the discussion and did something for the dog and the client went home. And she wanted to see me a couple of weeks later. So she came back and we had another conversation about it and she said, just by the way, what you just said the last time about the dog, is that the same for people? So I said, yes, yeah, the same for people, of course. You know, we are no different. So about a month later, the dog came back again and she said the dog was ready to go. And the dog was ready to go. So we put the dog to sleep. Two months later, she called me. And I thought, oh, what did we do wrong? <laughs> this is a first impression. And she said, I have to thank you. When I came to you with the dog, I was diagnosed with 10 states of cancer, metastasized cancer. And I could not accept death. I could not accept dying. I was so petrified. I didn't want to know anything about it. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I could not take peace. So through your conversation and through the dog, I look at it completely different. And I'm ready to go now. Wow. So... What was that all about? That really opened my eyes to stop questioning when things come up in me and things, intuitive things come up. I stop questioning it. I don't put it away. I don't think this is not kosher to talk about or I'm overstepping the boundaries. I just let it come out and <laughs> accept it. And that was really one of the first times that I really understood that the animals choose a person and the person chose that dog the two of them needed to be connected because that dog had a very important message that dog's purpose in life at that point was not to get better it just needed to teach in its last six months of its life it had an important thing to teach this person and it chose this person and the person chose the dog the two of them called coincidence or synchronicity the two of them connected and it was the most powerful thing I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. Wow. I got goosebumps again with that, that story. That is incredibly powerful. So with, with that, I have had many another story. We talked earlier on about the dog that you talked about to be euthanized. Mm -hmm. 
had not seen this dog for many, many years, and the owner brought the dog in to be euthanized, and there was something in there that held me back. I couldn't do it. And yes, we took a physical exam and did some blood work, and yes, it showed this dog was an end-stage kidney failure. But there was something that held me back, and I, I didn't get it. I couldn't get it. And finally, I said to the owner, I think this dog has an important message for you. I don't know if you believe in animal communicators, but she doesn't want to share it with me somehow. But here's the name of a communicator. I want you to talk to the communicator. So she kind of hesitated initially, but finally did. And the dog said that he, she didn't want to go unless the, her person promised that one, she would get another dog. And two, she would get a human lover. So the two of them talked about this, they talked and talked until finally the dog was ready to go. And the dog was ready to go at that time. And I felt at peace. And she said, I will make good on the promise. I promised her I will get a human lover and I'll get another dog. And within a month, she phoned me excited and said, I'm in love. I found a lover. So isn't that amazing? Oh, yeah. That is incredible. And, you know, and I think about what happened with Jessie as well and how much she taught me about death and dying and how sacred and beautiful and loving it can be it's not something to to fear and it's it doesn't have to be painful and ugly it doesn't have to be anything that we have made it out to be in our culture and you know on and on that note we just seem to be very emotionally immature in our culture about death we're I mean we're yeah. so uncomfortable around it and we generally sweep it around the, uh, under the rug because we don't want to talk about it even though I mean that's the the end result for each and every one of us yes nobody gets out of here alive that's a fact we know that nobody can deny that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I yeah I have no I don't really know why it is probably a tool of control you know to control people to have them fear death and say if you listen to me i will save you from death that is probably was a control tool and i think if we know well, i know that if you listen to some of the more nature-based cultures death has always been a beautiful experience yes we totally grieve about the physical body not being there but if you think about that the beauty of the person that you love or the dog or the cat or the horse you love that the beauty of that spirit gets the chance to expand and join all the other love in the world and in the universe and can create more love how beautiful is that for them? Mm. And how beautiful can be that for us? Just to promise to know once you let go of your body. And only when you let go of your body, when you have accomplished everything, more or less, that you set out to do. Which is different for every person. It's not the same for everybody. Only then will you be able to say, yep, I've done my job. Now I can put my feet up and now I can... Read a book at the fire or whatever. My job is completely completed. And now I can move on. And that is the case that I felt with Jesse. And that's what I felt. My dog really told me very loud and clear. I've done everything that I could. My job is completed. 
And I think this is the conversation we have to have with our loved ones and those that love us. And the time of separation has come to really embrace the fact that we did everything we could. You did everything for Jesse, you could, and Jesse did everything for you that she could. So your jobs were completed and you can move on to a new experience and a new love and a new person coming in your life or a new dog person coming in your life to teach you new things. Yeah, the hardest part is remembering all of that <laughs> in the times when my humanity is just swept away with grief. The, and you know, Marlene, it's not the, um, it's not that I don't accept what happened and it's not uh, that I necessarily even want her back but I miss her it's the missing it's that you know that deep humanity the ache of missing being able to look into her eyes and touch touch her tell her that I love her and you know just have her head on my lap when I meditate it's just all those memories that were so meaningful it's the missing that's that's the deepest part of the ache of the grief so the interesting part in the Taoist philosophy of creation, the nurturing, the taking care is the earth face. And the earth will crinkle and push up the mountains. And then we get into the metal face. The metal face is grieving. And when the earth pushes up and crinkles up, that doesn't go without pain. And it doesn't go without longing to go back again to the earth face but it is a first is a face the metal face and the grieving is a normal part of the creation and you have to go through that to come to the final acceptance to go with the flow and become water again and to get new creation so to go through the grieving is a necessary part you can't you can't skip that because if you skip that you skip the whole wisdom the face of wisdom because it is in this grieving that we look for the meaning of life the meaning absolutely of their life of our life of our connections and this is also the most amazing part the most spiritual enriching and once we have learned enough from that then automatically things will we go with the flow and you say okay Go with flow again, and I'm ready for something new. And so it is a very important phase to go through, a very important phase to experience. Because if we don't experience, we cut off our emotional and spiritual growth. So this is the part of the spiritual growth. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the, the, uh, the sense of purpose, the meaning, the wisdom that's coming out of this is... Um, I mean, I've been using this word a lot, profound, but it, it really, really is profound. And that doesn't mean that it makes it any easier. It, it, what I'm noticing the most with the grief and through all grieving experiences is this, uh, this deep inertia that fills my body and that it takes a lot of mental will some days to just make it through the day. But I believe that, I guess that's part of it. I mean, uh, we are embodied right so it makes sense that grief would actually be so physical that it would you know it would literally stop us physically yeah and here is chinese or Taoist philosophy has an answer for that one as well <laughs> of course 
Metal is very stiff. Metal doesn't give. It's very rigid. It doesn't move. It is very hard. And it doesn't have a lot of happiness to it. However, by appreciating and thanking for the experience and thanking Jesse for all the wisdom that her, her parting has brought to you and thanking her for that, the appreciation and the love will shift us in the fire element and fire happens to melt metal. Hmm. So to get through the grieving, we have to move towards appreciation and thanking. The more we appreciate, the more we thank, and the more we are happy about all the gifts that she, her death has given to you, and the amazing learning and spiritual development it has created in you, and to really appreciate that and love that, the more your metal will melt. And once your metal is melted enough, then time will be ready that you can move on. So that is a part of the whole function. And again, in the, we don't have much, maybe in the union psychology, they have something there as well. But I love how the metaphor is in Chinese, or in Taoist medicine, it's the Chinese medicine. <laughs> Politically, it is not correct. But the beauty of that is there too, they say, love or the fire of the love will melt the metal so just the more whenever you feel in your grief really stuck that you can't move just give jesse a few words of thanks for all the amazing gifts she's giving you in this phase of spiritual understanding and and all these new things you're learning and thank her for that and appreciate all the learning you're doing on this on this phase mm. That's that's powerful. Sometimes I don't even need to do that. She does it for me. <laughs> just, you are lucky. <laughs> she just it's like all of a sudden it's like this explosion of love in my heart that actually sends me into a different wave of tears. So it's just tears of gratitude rather than tears of mm -hmm. missing. So yeah, these these bonds that we have with these beings that are so pure. I mean, that's really the only way to describe it. I mean, when I think about when uh, when my father died, it was it was tragic. When my mother died, it was devastating, and I never thought I'd move beyond that. But there were a lot of layers of grief that needed to be moved through with that one. Because with humans, it's not so pure. It's not as clean. But with Jesse and with with uh, with pretty with all of the animals that I've said goodbye to, it was pure. So it was just, I didn't have to move through any baggage or stories or nonsense that happens with human beings. With, with animals, it's just, I miss you. That's it. There's nothing else. I miss you. Yeah. And there was something else I just said earlier on. And thank you. And thank you. Yes. <laughs> I think we forget that sometimes. Yeah. Okay. You. Guilty. <laughs> we sometimes forget to thank for every good thing that comes to us. We have a tendency to look at all the negative things and carry on the negative baggage around. But to thank for the gift, even just to thank in the morning, I think is a beautiful thing. I remember when I was a student, I worked for a while in Switzerland. And we went up to one of the mountain alms early in the morning to look at the cows. And we just got there by daylight and there was mist in the valley and there was sunshine up on the alms. And the cow boys, I guess, the ones that were herding the cows, 
were singing a song, a morning song to greet the day, and they were singing an appreciation for the day and for the beauty of the world and the beauty that they were there and how beautiful everything was, and just completely singing a song of gratitude and appreciation. And I thought, how beautiful. So many of us get up in the morning being grumpy, oh, I have to go to work today, <laughs> it's raining again. But if we just would appreciate more and say more thanks to everything that happens in our life and that is here, life would look quite different for most of us. Mm, it makes me think of this book that you just recently recommended that I read, The Mutant Messenger Down Under. Wow, that, I highly recommend everybody read that one. It is such a powerful book. Amazing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely amazing. And it's just, it's, it really speaks about everything that you're talking about as well. The simplicity of gratitude. Yeah. And then the thing in the grieving, if I come back to the grieving again, that grieving is well known. There are grief counselors, there are whole books written about grieving and all the stages we go through. First the denial and then the anger. And sometimes the anger is directed. I recently had somebody who became, who, called me in complete panic because they loved their dog so much, but they found themselves now being angry with their dog that the dog died. And they thought they felt so guilty and so bad about that. But that is quite common because we get the anger, um, which is based on the feeling of abandonment, and we can direct it towards the government or towards the medical system or towards the veterinarian or the doctor or to other members in the family, or sometimes even to the person that is dying or has died, or the animal that has died. And the anger is a part of the, the wood element. And we have to go through all these phases of, you know, of the cycle of birth, to the water through wood, to fire, to earth, and metal, and back again to water again. So it is an interesting thing. It, it can tell you something in the process of the grieving where you get stuck is probably your archetypal animal um, element, which gives you deep insight about yourself. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I never thought about that. You know, and I, you know, I I was actually shocked that I actually experienced it was it was brief, but I experienced a little bit of anger with Jesse's leaving as well, and I thought, where on earth did this come from? But underneath mm -hmm. it was just again, it was that ache that missing, that sadness. So it was just, yeah, an abandonment too. It's funny, you know, like I find that with grief, I feel crazy. <laughs> just crazy? Crazy, yeah. I don't, sometimes when I'm, when it really, really takes me over, I cannot make sense of anything. All I can do is just let it take me over, let it take me out and just cry because sometimes <laughs> things that I say just make no sense whatsoever. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's 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 powerful and it's very tragic that in our culture we live in such an emotionally vacant culture that we you know, we put timelines on grief too. Like are you still grieving? You know, are you still grieving? It's only 8 weeks. Or I mean, it's been eight, it's been eight weeks. You know, are you still grieving? It's like, you know what? I may be grieving for the rest of my life. I will learn how to live with it, and gain the wisdom from it. But I'm always going to miss her. But you know, just these these cultural 
beliefs that we have around how unacceptable it is to feel these powerful emotions needs that needs to change. Yeah, and the way that I change it for myself is through understanding. Um, my element clearly is metal. As metal seeks understanding and making sense, and if things don't make sense to you when you're in a deep grieving, sadness is the emotion of metal as well. And if things don't make sense to you anymore, you literally lose your metal. Mm. And that means you have a weakness in the metal, and it also indicates you're a metal person. That is your personality. Things have to make sense, and things have to go to a certain direction, or have to have a reason for existence. So for me, it is very helpful in our culture that not only should we acknowledge these emotions, but we also should learn tools how to what to do with them. Yes. So if you're really stuck in the grieving, one of the things that means that you're stuck in your mental element, that likely means that that's your element, you can't get through it. There's a simple way to deal with that, and that is have the love melt the metal, and that gets you moving. And I remember one of my First Nation clients who once told me when his dog passed on, and he was quite cheerful about it. I said, how can you be cheerful about it? He said, well, the dogs are about love, and they teach me to love. And now I can go and practice love with another dog. And the dog also lived with us only a short time because it teaches us the importance of letting go and moving on, and that death is a part of life. That's powerful. Yeah, yeah, very simple, but very powerful. Well, I have, I have just a couple more questions, Marlene. One of the things is, you know, while we're on the topic of grief, uh, I'm wondering, you know, for, for anybody who's out there listening who may be experiencing this, is there, from a physical perspective, uh, a meridian perspective, it, can acupuncture help with that? Can it help move these emotions through the body? Absolutely, absolutely. There is the five element acupuncture, which is based on the creation cycle. So that is based on when you're stuck in a certain cycle. So let's say you're stuck in the cycle of anger, you can't get out of your anger. That means you are basically a wood person and they can use acupuncture points that are related to the emotional aspect of the wood element or maybe the element that controls it, which is the metal element, that will actually stimulate the, you to move through that phase. So absolutely, five-element acupuncture is probably the side of grief counselors. That is probably, if you want to do something more physical than grief counseling, you know, grief counselors are totally something that I can totally recommend to anybody. It's not something that you have to be embarrassed about. Oh, I'm stuck. I need some help from a counselor. No, no, no. They are wonderful, wonderful people. So certainly grief counseling is a good one. But if you want to do something physical, the five element acupuncture is totally stunning. Totally beyond belief. What happens when you have a good five element acupuncturist and they will do five element acupuncture for emotional blockages. It is totally mind-blowing. If you have never experienced it, it's something that I can certainly recommend to anybody who is stuck in their grieving or stuck in any other process in your life to experience that. When you're really stuck emotionally, it is a totally stunning experience. And I'm suspecting that this would apply, obviously, to animals as well who may be grieving. Is that correct? 
It would be correct, yes. And I have not found the animals to be stuck in the grieving very long if the people are not stuck in the grieving. Oh, okay. That makes sense. The animals vibrate in sympathy of the people. And sometimes that is when the animal brings, you know, the people to me, like I was telling you before we started about the kitty cat, whose mom was still stuck in grieving because of the loss of the love of her life, her husband. Then the kitty cat came in. The person thought the kitty cat was sick, but the kitty cat was not physically 100%, but basically came to me that it was mom who needed help. And then once we talked about what she needed to do in order to take care of the cat, life changed for her, and she looked after herself better, and she came back the next time being happy and smiling and full of life again. That's amazing. That is so, so beautiful. Well, I just have one more question for you. And I would love if you have any final words of wisdom uh, to share from all of your experiences with animals just in life and spirituality about how to just connect to a life that is more purposeful and meaningful and actually, you know, enhances the world what would you you know what would you say to people if they could just do one thing one thing in their lives to you know to enhance life what would you say to be very appreciative that we have been given this precious gift of a physical body that can aid us to develop our spiritual connection with the earth and with each other to connect with any piece of nature, any animal, and especially the animals that have chosen to live with you and connect with them and have them teach you to feel in harmony, peace, and balance and how to feel the universal love. Once you have experienced the universal love, it becomes an addiction. (laughs) You have to connect with them all the time. And the best way to do that is to be loving and caring for either the animals in your life or the plants in your garden or the forest or the ocean or the animals or the human or the human being that is in your life and just totally engulf them with your love and then you will receive love back. And I believe that if we humans do have a future in here, if we do want a future here on this planet, that's where we have to come from. So like what the Beatles say, all you need is love. <laughs> Wow. Wow. <laughs> you, channeled, you channeled that answer, didn't you? Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what does the John Lennon sing again? Imagine if all the people. <laughs> oh, that song, every time I hear it, I cry. Yeah. 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 Those guys were connected. They sure were. Marlene, I want to thank you so much for everything, for for who you are and how you show up in the world in a way that is just so loving and caring and wise and purpose-driven and that you have not only made the live made lives so much richer in the animal kingdom but also in the human kingdom. And I want to thank your Jesse to be your teacher and set you on the path to do this very interview and to bring out this very program. Thank you Jesse. And thank you, Dad, for listening to Jesse.
had to really uh, pause and breathe after this conversation. It's, uh, it's so powerful and so beautiful. And I hope it touches you as deeply as it's touched me. Yes, I realize that, you know, we spoke a lot about Jesse. Uh, and uh, Jesse really is a metaphor for all of us who live with beautiful animal souls in our lives. And, it, you know, there's just so much wisdom and teaching that comes from these souls if we're open with our hearts. And, um, yeah, yeah, I'm just feeling, I'm feeling really touched and, and really kind of overwhelmed, but in a really good way. And, you know, can you imagine a world filled with wellness practitioners who are as deeply connected to their hearts and their inner wisdom as much as Marlene is? Because I can. And I promise to do everything in my power to make it happen because that is the world that I want to live in. And I know that I am not alone. I'm going to be bringing more conversations like this one to you in the coming weeks. And I have... Jesse, my powerful spirit guide to thank for this, because this is the path that she's leading me on. And I am following her lead with total gratitude in my heart. And I am so grateful to Marlene for the path that she has chosen as a true, true, true healer. And more importantly, I am so deeply grateful to Marlene for her beautiful soul. And I'm also grateful to all of the beautiful souls who refuse to let culture stop them from the beautiful work they came here to do to really heal this world. So I'm going to be posting a link to Marlene's clinic in the show notes on my website at debozarco.com backslash Marlene Smith, all one word. And I'm also going to be posting a link to the blog posts that I wrote about Jesse's transition, as well as a powerful post that I wrote about grief. And I'm going to also include a link to the book we both spoke about uh, called Mutant Messenger Down Under. And it's a very worthwhile read. Highly recommend it. It's a very quick read as well. And when you're at my website, please sign up for my email list and get your free copy of the Status Quo Crusher Revolution Manifesto. Check out my meditations, the t-shirts and wellness plans all in the online store, all created for you. And lastly, if this podcast is meaningful to you, I would be so grateful if you would share it with your friends and family and just help spread the word far and wide because there can never be enough truth-filled status quo crushers in this world. And that ends this week's episode of yet another Unplugged podcast. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. Thank you so much for listening. Week after week, thank you. I am so grateful for you. Yeah, I'm so grateful for you. Gratitude, there's so much power in it. And speaking of power, remember, live with passion live with purpose, change the world.
imagine no possessions. 